This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Well, today on Dreamland, we're going back into the not-too-distant past to talk about something that should have happened a very different way and still has enormous value. You're guessing now, what could that be? Well, there was a time when we talked about it every year because it was the season to talk about it. Now the season for this year is over. It's still nevertheless. There have been some beautiful crop circles, but the whole crop circle phenomenon was de-energized, would be the best way to put it, by a combination of I think an extraordinary effort on the part of the American and probably also British intelligence communities in complicity with the general media. And the result of this is many of you will be thinking, oh, crop circles, that's all fake. Oh, no, it's not. It is suppressed, suppressed. And we're going to be talking today to Andy Thomas, who's had some truly extraordinary experiences in working with and studying crop formations. Andy is coming to us from England. Uh, I've known Andy. We have mutual friends in the UK, and we've met a few times. And uh, he's a lovely guy. He's got a lot of wild, wonderfully wild ideas. You can find out more about his ideas at truthagenda.org. Uh, he has a book out called The New Heretics, which will either curl your hair or make it fall out, depending upon your reaction to it. Uh, we are going to talk, though, more mostly about a book he wrote some years ago called Quest for Contact, an absolutely amazing story about an effort to engage with the formers of the crop circle, the creators of the crop circles, the real ones not Doug and Dave. Andy, you know, before we go on, I and I, I would like to welcome you to Dreamland first. Uh, I'm talking a little bit too long here. So it, I just want to talk about a little bit about Doug and Dave. And you remember that story. Indeed, I do. I um, mean, if anybody doesn't know who they are, uh, they they were the two elderly gentlemen who, in September of 1991, suddenly came forward and said that they had made all the crop circles, even though they had no evidence for that. And then the ones that they made in front of cameras were really not good. But it, it did enough to make people in the wider world think, oh, the whole crop circle thing's a joke. And yet, most people had not looked at the evidence. And when, of course, you realize how long crop circles have been going on, how many there were, how amazing they were, and you then compared them to what Doug and Dave were showing, uh, it was soon obvious that they were not the answer to the crop circles. And yet the idea stuck, as you say, it did de-energize interest. And yet still it goes on. And here we are today still talking about crop circles and Doug and Dave are long gone. Now, there was some connection between Doug and Dave and the Central Intelligence Agency, as I recall. Well, I don't know about the CIA, but there was uh, an attempt to find out who put this story out. 
Uh, and interestingly, at the bottom of the newspaper story that first broke their claims, there was a little tiny bit saying copyright MBF services. And when the researcher George Wingfield tried to track down this press agency called MBF services, it didn't exist. And the only phone number he ever traced to anything with any connection to that name turned out to be an office that had, in his view, connections to MI5. So that's like our version, if you like, of the CIA. That's the British intelligence services. And certainly there were many strange things about Doug and Dave. And that discovery led some to think, well, yeah, this was an attempt to, you know, basically extinguish interest in something that had been really building up then to fever pitch. The media have been openly speculating about was it aliens was it incredible forces and then suddenly almost overnight doug and dave ruined it and of course that is what many people believe was the idea see the idea they're all man-made make people not think anything more about them and it worked for a while for some people and it certainly did lasting damage and yet it, it has still survived and interest still survives even now we wouldn't be here today if interest hadn't survived and i want to rekindle it i want to get into this because there are energies that are of great value here as you will see folks andy knows a lot about those energies now uh, i can i will never forget the morning i turned on our national public radio sort of the u.s equivalent of the bbc is national npr national public radio and heard them telling the story of Doug and Dave with condescending chuckles in their voices. I was just sickened, sickened. There's no other way to describe it mm -hmm. because I could see this extraordinary effort that was being made to somehow reach us being destroyed by a, a darkness that maybe even comes from within mankind that we don't fully understand and i knew from that moment on that the crop formations would die out in the general public consciousness and before doug and dave there was something real building even in the media the bbc tried to study them and it was there was a very open-minded approach to it for a while there was there was i mean interestingly uh, a year before duck and dave there'd been an early attempt to try to crumble away public interest and you mentioned the bbc so that's right so the researcher colin andrews and pat delgado they were working with the bbc to film an area where crop circles were known to appear and they put cameras there and infrared detectors and all of this and then one night uh, a crop formation did appear there, but when they got down inside, there was like a strange Ouija game board. There was a wooden crucifix placed in the middle. And it looked like, although some have argued this round in more ways than one, but it looked like somebody had got down in front of the cameras and managed to make a crop circle. And of course, that then seeded doubt in the public eye then. It was like, oh, well, maybe it is possible to fool all of these researchers. But luckily, that managed to sort of fade away. And then it was a year later, after a summer of amazing formations in 1991, when uh, it's almost like somebody thought, right, we've got to push go now on the debunk story properly. We had a little go the year before. Now, 
we've got to end the public interest. And Doug and Dave were entertaining. There's no getting around it. I mean, it was quite fun if you didn't know the real story. And that sort of image of a man with a piece of wood and a piece of string crunching around, that was very strong set against all these people like myself speculating about what this might be. Could yes. it be alien? Could it be psychic? Could it be so on and so on? That's that's weak to the media. They need a good, solid answer. And sadly for them, the man-made answer, that was good news for them. It was a good media story. That didn't mean it was true. And uh, indeed, it wasn't true. And Doug and Dave faded away. Other people have copied them over the years. And of course, some are man-made. But that simply does not explain the whole thing. It doesn't. No, not at all. And we're, we're going to take a little break right now. And then when we come back, we're going to be asking Andy about the whole issue of motive. Such an effort to de-energize this mystery. We'll be right back. I'd like to tell you a wonderful story. It's a story about my wife, Anne. She passed on in 2015, an hour after she died. She began to come back. Now she's with us and you can learn more about this and what it means to you and what it can mean to you so much more than you may think. Get the afterlife revolution. Get it today. You can read it on Kindle as a book. You can listen to me reading it as an audio book. It's a beautiful journey into a new way of understanding death and life. And yes, afterlife. There's a reason that Dr. Gary Schwartz, one of the great afterlife investigators in the world, says it's among the most convincing cases he has ever encountered. Afterlife revolution. Don't miss it. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there? In the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. Unknowncountry.com There's no place like it in the world. We're talking to Andy Thomas about a book of his called Quest for Contact. His website is truthagenda.org. He's got a book out more recently called The New Heretics. Uh, it goes deeply into conspiracy theories, which are not my thing, having been sort of uh, entangled in at least two major conspiracy theories in my life. I stay away from the whole field, as you folks know, because it's a, a lot of reasons for that that I don't want to go into, which is one of the reasons I stay away from it. But maybe one of these days we'll get together and I'll figure out how to interview Andy about some of his ideas because they're quite fascinating. And I would suggest you go to truthagenda.org 
and make your own decisions about what may be there. And uh, now, but let's go back to the motive because we have these, I remember the, the, the uh, fractal formations that appeared near Stonehenge and so forth that were breathtaking, amazing things that were happening. And uh, yet there was this effort to kind of kill it, to kill it, as I say, to take the energy out. Uh, what was the motive behind that? And let's assume there's a government level of interest in it, because there there was. I, I think that it's rather clear that it, it, government and certainly the general media, which you and I have to agree is connected in many ways to the government, especially organs like National Public Radio in the U.S. And obviously the BBC is a government entity. Uh, and uh, the New York Times is very much uh, uh, integrated with the U.S. Defense Department, despite what they say. Um, I happen to, well, anyway, let's not go down that road. The motive for creating the, this subterfuge about the crop circles, for killing the energy. I mean, if you think about it, if you were a security service, you should be concerned if you've got these huge shapes appearing. Often people are seeing strange lights, and strange phenomena seen in and around these shapes. Um, if they were not interested, I'd want to know why. Many crop circle researchers have seen military helicopters, photographing them, filming them. Now, some of that is because they tend to be in that area where many crop circles uh, occur, in a place called Salisbury Plain in uh, Wiltshire in England. But nonetheless, they are clearly interested. And I think in 1991, the, the, the fever pitch public furore around crop circles, I think, was getting to the point where people were openly discussing, could there be alien life creating it? Could it be UFOs? And suddenly it was almost like somebody didn't feel we were ready for it. And they had to find a way to put a lid on it. Now, over the years, there have been a number of debunkers who've made claims when they were telephoned and caught out and people recorded their phone calls and everything that insinuated that yeah, there was uh, a concerted attempt to try to destroy interest in the crop circles. There was a, a man called Jim Schnabel who once wrote a, a big sort of debunking book about crop circles, but he was telephoned by a man called uh, Armand Victorian who was trying to get him to reveal what is the motive here for all this debunking. Now, we don't know to this day whether Schnabel was telling the truth or whether it was a wind-up, which he then sort of insinuated later on, but he mentioned everything from government concerns to even Vatican concerns, that there were religious authorities that were very worried about these huge occult symbols as they saw them appearing in the fields, and they just needed to diffuse it. Now, that is something other people have made claims about in the years since, but certainly you can be sure that any establishment authority would not want the general public to get too close to an answer to something before they do, because anything that can leave these shapes there obviously has pretty incredible powers. And it's only now today that we're beginning to see the UFOs or UAPs, as we must now call them, being discussed in Congress. And that's quite a historical thing. But for years, it's just been denigrated and ignored. 
maybe something is about to change. Other people think that in itself might be another new distraction, but that remains to be seen. Well, it would be nice if something finally did change because we're coming uh, increasingly into a, a time what it looks like an time of increasing chaos on planet Earth with wars and strange weather and uh, so forth. And uh, we need something more. We need some truth around here. And we have very little of that. Uh, I... Interestingly enough, and my wife and I spent some time in the Vatican with uh, Corrado Balducci, uh, who was at the time was uh, a Monsignor, and he was a kind of a uh, a uh, he 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 looked into things that the then Pope John Paul was interested in, but couldn't dare to uh, involve the papacy in. And therefore, we ended up having a dinner with Monsignor Balducci, in which crop circles were discussed, as well as aliens and UFOs and so on and so forth, and with the assumption that it would eventually be uh, taken back to the Pope. And I didn't get the impression that Monsignor Balducci knew too much about the crop formations. Of course, he spoke what I would describe as theoretical English, so I'm not absolutely sure we understood each other very well. Um, and, uh, or I could say artificial English. And you never knew exactly what was going on when we when you talked with him. And it, was, it wasn't his fault. He just, you know, I didn't speak any Italian and neither did Anne. Or Anne spoke some. And, uh, but uh, in any case, it could be that you mentioned occult, fear of occult symbols and there is, I know in the U.S. Defense Department, a terrible fear that goes way back to the very beginning, to, uh, the, to the Roswell incident and before, that these are, the, whatever is here are demonic, that they're demons. And it, it rises out of the, well, for example, the relationship between General Twining, who was the head of Air Materiel Command when the uh, debris and bodies were brought from Roswell, the year before he had been converted to Catholicism by none other than Padre Pio in Italy. He was, he was stationed in Italy at the time during the war, right after the war. So there has to be a connection there and a fear that may be projected right up into the crop formations. And I just wonder, Andy, what is your reaction? Is there something demonic about this or not? So in my personal view, no. Uh, I've never sensed anything other than benevolence, radiance, beauty from this phenomenon. I'd like to think that if there was something very dark at the core of it, you'd be able to kind of feel that somewhere in your gut. But now, listen, of course, in America, you have a strong religious thread running through your whole society. That is oh, far yeah. less, though, as much less so here today. So people don't see things in the same way. Um, and I think you have more of a history. If something is unknown 
and if there are sort of potentially threatening elements yes it, it is seen as demonic and i have met people who, who have believed that the crop circles are satanic in some way and not helped by the fact that one of the earliest records that we have of a crop circle is from 1678 and there's an illustration of the devil cutting the circle into a field now to me that was just local superstition but if you have a fear that there is a satanic plot in the world well then of course you're going to apply that to anything that, that you're not sure about in my view i don't i don't believe that is what's going on however that might explain why there are religious authorities that would be worried and we should just mention the vatican even has its own astronomical observatories constantly looking out for signs of extraterrestrial life and although this seems extraordinary but it is true because they want to convert them to catholicism as soon as they arrive here which to me seems slightly small-minded but anyway you can't knock people for ambition and i believe there are religious forces in the world that would care about these shapes drawing people in leading people to think differently and that is certainly what crop circles do and it takes people away therefore from the old established kind of lines of thought uh, and that could be something very threatening if you want people back to the original religious ideals and of course crop circles generally take people to new ways of looking at the world well including new ways of looking at fractals i i remember the mandelbrot set and the julia set and fractals that we had not known before appearing and is that demonic i don't think so i think it's it's educational and you know it's so beautiful the whole, I've been in crop formations and, oh, I'm, I meant to say, I, I, I was, I've been in two crop formations, uh, but both with, one, yes, both with Anne. And Anne had, my wife had a very, she was a very sort of down to earth person. She's the last person you would think had anything to do with ghosts or anything like that, but she was highly, attractive to the strange she drew it and we were in the second formation we were in the first formation we were in we met somebody coincidentally whom we'd been wanting to meet for years uh just happened to walk into the same crop circle at the same time the second one we were in it alone and we were walking around in it and suddenly this black unmarked helicopter came and flew around the formation and then came down to, it felt I was, the wind was blowing like they were trying to blow the formation away with, it, it must've been 50 feet above our heads, no more, uh, 20 meters, 30 meters at most. And uh, then it flew away. <laughs> so, you know, I know there's something strange about these formations and I know there's something going on with some other level of, human society whether it's the intelligence community or something really strange that looks like that but isn't that i don't know um, well, i mean that the helicopter incident that you described there the, that i have heard described also by other people now is that some kind of military intimidation to try to put people off going in or 
as other people have claimed, it's just hotshot pilots training, think, right, let's give this lot of people a scare, and the whole thing's nothing more than a joke. But you can certainly understand why when they're doing dangerous things like that, because they should not be hovering that low over people. Why, yeah, people are going to feel that there is something very dark about that. Uh, well, it was entirely there illegal. Is that this happening. They, they, they were way below the, the, the uh, approved altitude. I mean, yes. you could have... I pr probably could have hit them with a, if I'd thrown a ball up there, I probably could have hit the bottom of the helicopter. It was that close. And the wind and the noise were appalling. You know, it was really not a pleasant experience. It was like they were trying to get us to leave the formation, which worked. We did. Yeah. It flew away and didn't come back, thank God. But it was unmarked. I was right there. I could see it clearly. It was completely black and unmarked. I never got a more than a glimpse of the people in it w because of the angle. But it was two men, and they were had helmets on, and they had black uniforms on. That I, I, know, I know. And I looked up in the British military. There wasn't any, there wasn't any organization, in, nothing in the RAF or anything that flies black unmarked helicopters and wears black uniforms. So there you have it. But you've got some extraordinary stories. Let's start with when you got first interested in this. And then, folks, we're going down a road that will re completely rekindle, I hope, your interest in this wonderful, extraordinarily powerful phenomenon. But before that, we'll be right back. My new book, Them, has now been out since... March of 2023. I would like to thank everyone for the wonderful reception. Those who have read it, who have posted thoughtful reviews on Amazon, those who have listened. It's an important book for me. And also, over the months, it has become a very strange book because if you listen to the Oversight Committee UAP hearings, you will hear David Grush saying things almost sound like they were taken right out of the second part of them. And I thought to myself, how did I do that? And the answer is, I have no idea. But the book is really very prophetic. And I think you should read it if you hadn't done so. And that's what this is all about. Read it, listen to it. It's really worth your time. Jacques Vallée certainly thought so. Mitch Horowitz thought so. Jeff Kripal thought so. Leslie Kane, Diana Pasolka, and all of the others who gave it blurbs thought so. And so do an awful lot of people who have reviewed it. So pick up a copy today. Go to Amazon and get a copy. Go to Audible and get the audio book. Listen to them. Read them. It's a whole new vision of how we should think about the close encounter experience. And this is getting more and more important over time more and more important them i saw the future when i was writing that book didn't know i would but i did you can read it now and see for yourself this is whitley streber listen to me now from june of 2010 talking to alan lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia.
here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I work with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the unknowncountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started. We're talking to Andy Thomas about a book of his called Quest for Contact, but I don't think Quest for Contact is in print anymore, is it? No, is it? sadly it's not, but it, it, it was influential at the time. Uh, yeah. And, and it, it recorded basically our experiments that we did down here in Sussex. So we're in a county called Sussex, which is in southeast England. And we uh, met with a gentleman called Paul Bure, no longer with us, sadly. But he was uh, a psychic and, you know, a medium and all of the things many of the religious people don't like. But he was just fascinated with crop circles. And he came up with an idea of, well, what if using his psychic abilities, we could try to communicate with whatever it was that was making them? And we started to do a series of experiments with him that led to some really quite uh, extraordinary things happening, which involved a whole group of us, some of whom we're still working together today, uh, certainly still communicating together. And it's a very long story because that what was missing in the evidence at that stage was a clear video of a crop circle forming. Now, later on, one would come and of course everybody just debunked it and said it was a fake video although actually there are still many arguments around that video but at this stage we thought well if we had a video of a crop circle forming 
you know, that would be extraordinary evidence that might show to the world something was going on. So the idea was to try to arrange using psychics, Paul and some other people, a time and a place where we would be set up, ready to go with cameras in the hope then that the circle makers, whatever they were, would come and make us a crop circle. And that was the idea. That never quite happened. But along the way, the more we started to give towards this experiment, the more strange things happened. Myself, Amartya Noakes, who is known to you, and one other gentleman, we saw balls of light flying over fields. Uh, another one of our team, Barry Reynolds, saw a ball of light crossing a very busy road here in Sussex. We started to have strange psychic experiences. And um, the very day that we held our first meeting in Paul Bura's house to discuss what we were going to do, and nobody else outside of our small group knew what we were going to do. The first crop circle of Sussex that year appeared in a field as near as you could possibly get to Paul's house. It was almost like it was saying, you're on the right lines here. Yes. So this started this started around three years of experiments and going up onto hillsides. And, you know, it, it's a long story, but it, it ultimately it sort of manifested in the end a crop circle that was exactly the shape that we had anticipated. We played notes of music, which Martin played as sine waves, a very pure form, because we have been told to do that in all the messages that were coming through. So we were sitting up there on a hillside playing the music, just being very still as the sun went down, very beautiful. And that very night, exactly the shape that we had anticipated, six circular elements in a row, appeared. And it didn't appear exactly where we thought it would thus we didn't capture it on camera and but it was too uncanny for that not to have been a formation that we had had something to do with and our work and other work like that has inspired later experiments there are still people today trying these interactive experiments with some really interesting results and many formations have been manifested now in response to what people, if you like, are putting out there. So I think there is a mind connection between us and whatever wider forces are creating this. Something is either responding to us or we are putting something out there into the wider system that creates them. But it's not straightforward. And certainly we convinced ourselves that there was certainly an interaction going on. Uh, and hence, in the end, we wrote this into the book, quest for contact to record what we did and to help encourage other people to try this kind of work you know i would like to go to i, I would like to uh, return in a few minutes to the question of what's happening now because there are people i suspect people who have gone very far down this path and maybe some of them have become rather secretive about what they're doing, because that, that kind of goes with the territory. I know people who, in, in this country, who get deeply involved with the entities I call the visitors, and they end up uh, doing what I would like to do, which I can't, because I'm sort of a world walker in this thing, uh, which is they end up buying a house out in the desert or deep in the forest and kind of going there and becoming part of something. And I wonder if that's maybe happening to some of the people uh, who are 
manifesting communication with the circle makers. Now, I want to talk, though, now about uh, this some of the remarkable early stories of eyewitness. And it must have been rather maddening to you guys because you knew that, this, that there were such a thing as eyewitnesses. And it, and, and it would do everything except let you have that eyewitness experience. Tell us about the, this incredible story of Vivian and Gary Tomlinson back in 1994, what happened to them. So, uh, well, indeed, I think the story broke in 1994, but actually what happened to them occurred in 1989. Ah. Uh, that in itself is interesting because that's caused confusion in the media where people then accuse them of making up the story because they got their dates wrong, but they didn't get the dates wrong. This always happened to them in 1989. Uh, and myself and Barry Reynolds, we, we did actually go and interview uh, Vivian and, and Gary Tomlinson to, to get to the absolute detail of what really happened to them. And cutting a much longer story short, one early evening, nice summer's evening, they were walking along a footpath that went into a wheat field. So there was wheat either side of them, the path went across the field. Now they knew nothing about crop circles at the stage. Um, and then suddenly they looked across and they noticed that the trees in the distance were agitated, like something was moving them. Now there was barely any wind. They said it was calm, it was warm. And then suddenly it was like this force suddenly moved towards them, hit the field where they were standing. And suddenly around them, this incredible rushing occurred. And the, the crops started to literally sweep down. There were two circles with a zigzag between them. And they were on a path, but they were sucked into the field. And the crop started to literally twirl down around them. They both reported a kind of electric blue flickering and looking up a funnel going right up into the sky. It was like electrically charged. And this was a very alarming experience for them. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't even know what crop circles were at that stage. And they were left suddenly standing in the middle of this circle linked to this other one. But it wasn't a pleasant experience. Um, Vivian had her eardrums perforated by the experience. She said it, it was such a high-pitched sound while this was going on. The way she described it was like somebody blowing panpipes directly into your ear. She came out oh half deaf. And then when she finally went to a doctor, he said, you've, you've damaged your eardrum. And the other really interesting thing that Gary remembered was that anything metal his belt buckle and the keys that he had in his pocket were red hot. And that would be indicative of some kind of electrical force having been present there. And it's like, you know, it had heated them up basically. So they, they staggered home and, and were not happy. It, it was very disturbing to them. But then when crop circles started to make their way into the news properly, and they'd been a little bit, but not at that stage, they suddenly realized what it was that had happened to them. And that's when they came forward. And they told this story, I believe, very accurately. But because journalists did things like stand them in front of a different crop circle, 
giving the impression that was the crop circle that they had seen forming when it wasn't and that wasn't what they were trying to do you know it was just a publicity shot it enabled skeptics to attack them as how you made it up you're lying and then say arguments about the dates we sat down with them there was no discrepancy at all we absolutely found their story 100% convincing and when you put it together with other eyewitness accounts and there are many out there and I've interviewed another family who were also present when a crop circle formed and suddenly the circle appeared in the field next to them within a matter of seconds. You realize this is not so uncommon. There is even a Victorian eyewitness sighting which is recorded uh, in uh, the record books of a gentleman again saying that out of nowhere it was like a, a very localized storm began and suddenly took down the crop next to him. So this has been going on for a long time and their experience was absolutely in keeping with so many other eyewitness sightings. You know, given that it has been going on for so long, one wonders if it, whether or not it actually has anything to do with us. Like it seems like the experience that the that that the uh, the we we were just discussing, they, they just happen to be sort of in the in in that particular spot at that particular time. There's no, and and then you you and many others who have tried to conjure them and and to get them to create themselves in, 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 in where you wanted them to have failed. And uh, in fact, this apartment, in fact, my entire life has been filled with cameras ever since I had my experience with the visitors in 1985. And in all that time, I've gotten essentially nothing. So uh, either they hide and they hid from you or they don't care. Th th this isn't about us. What do you think it is? My feeling about the crop circles in general is you're not meant to have all the answers or not yet. And it's almost like it always keeps it just dangling a little bit away from you. And there have been other attempts to film them appearing where it's almost like there's a cheeky quality to it. I mean, another example, I think in the early 1990s, they there was a camera team that put motion sensors around the field. So if anybody went in, they would go off. They had infrared anyway. So they were waiting in the hope a crop formation would appear. And then in the night, a very heavy sort of mist came down and nobody saw anything. When the morning came and they came out of the caravan full of all the equipment, there was a, a big crop formation right next to the caravan. Nothing had been picked up. Nothing had been seen or heard. It was almost like something was saying, you're not going to get us like that. And, and yet it then seems to throw this experience to people that don't care or like the Tomlinsons didn't even know what it was. So it's almost like it lets you know that there is a real phenomenon, but it doesn't want the key people who've been researching them to quite get that. It's interesting because one of the sort of channeled messages that we received in a, a beautiful uh, ancient hill fort called Sisbury Ring more or less said, listen, if you think you're going to change the world, 
by getting this film that you want and and you know you're going to be suddenly big heroes and think again it won't work that way and even if you get that evidence you're probably not going to be believed and that then sort of came true not with us but because when the video came forward in 1996 and there's other videos but they're very very vague but this one was clear taken at a place called Oliver's Castle which shows this six arms sort of snowflake pattern appearing under these lights flying around sure enough although the arguing the arguing still goes on today about whether it's real or not it, it was dismissed by many people as a probable fake and indeed it didn't change things and it just people shrugged it off yes. and said wow i don't believe it's real so in a way that message we received was true even if we'd succeeded we probably would have all been branded liars and cheats and it probably wouldn't have changed the world it would have been lovely for us to have seen it but it's almost like it, it doesn't do that. It does it in a very subtle way and gives these experiences to the people that are not necessarily looking for them. Yeah, there's a, well, you know, even people who are looking for them begin to, they fall into the error of looking for more than, than, than a more, a more final answer than is ever going to be available. And I think that, it's part of the Oliver's Castle issue because no one has ever been able to really definitively explain how the Oliver's Castle video was made. Uh, the, I mean, in, it, at the time, now it'd be easy with CGI, but there was no CGI then. So no, or, or very early versions of it. Yeah, it's very not, early. The I mean, yeah, of, it's not... not the world of deep fakes that we're in today. And indeed, uh, there was a research called Paul Vigay who tried to recreate it on his home computer. And though it was a, a valiant attempt, um, it, it really was very crude and very unconvincing. And so, yes, there have been claims that so-and-so made it and names have been put about. But there's never been definitive proof that they did make it. And a lot of people think that that is all just deflection and that whoever took that original video was perhaps persuaded into silence. And certainly it's unresolved all these years later. It's never been categorically explained away. And many people still believe that video is the real thing. As you say, if you did it today, everyone would just assume you'd knocked it up on your home computer. So, right. you know, this is the problem of the time. Now, visual evidence, you're going to have to have 30 people, they're all seeing it happen at the same time with their own cameras before anybody believes it. Um, so, yeah, I did. to me, there is evidence. And there is other, by the way, time-lapse photography showing crop circles appearing in very short periods of time, infrared images and that. So there is other evidence out there like it, but it's never quite as clear and as near as you want. But I think there's enough evidence to show that absolutely there are things occurring in very, very short periods of time, which is interesting because then when you compare to man-made demonstrations, some people are taking like nine, ten hours for a team to make a formation even approaching the scale and complexity of, of what we're used to. And that's so interesting. The time factor is important. Yes, you can make a man-made formation. Some people do. But the time it's taking them compared to many others, like the one you mentioned earlier, the Stonehenge fractal of 1996, I mean, that occurred within 45 minutes. 
And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I know skeptics have said, oh, no, it was there all day and nobody saw it. That is not it's true. It's a lie. It's an, it, it is a lie. lie. There's enough it's not eyewitness just a mistake. It's an actual out it, it is lie. an actual, it is a lie, yeah. So we know that that occurred in a very short period of time because we have multiple witnesses who know when the field was empty and then we know when it was discovered. So, exactly. you know, if it's taking nine, ten hours to make something not even a third of that length, how how does this stuff happen so quickly? And the eyewitnesses certainly attest to this happening within seconds. It's really, really quick. Very strange. I want to go back to... Uh, the Tomlinsons and the energies that were involved, the, the, the heated belt buckle, the perforated eardrums. And I want to bring up Dr. William Levengood and his work. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Um, it suggests that heat is an important factor in the creation of the formations because of the blown nodes in the, in the, in the crop where the crop that has a joint and heat is applied to that joint causing the stem to the stem to turn like that um what is there anything in that is that is he right about that or not i believe he was William Levengood was a biophysicist who actually had uh i think two possibly three papers published in a peer review science journal demonstrating these differences between normal crop and circle affected crop. And as you mentioned, you get swelling on the nodal joints, the knuckles on wheat and barley. There are changes in the embryonic seed heads. There are pittings in the cell walls that are very hard to explain away. Man-made formations do not give you this. And yet so many formations did show these effects when they tested them. And it was the opinion of Levengood that some kind of very brief heat, maybe maybe like even microseconds, you know, a very short time was being used to make the crop pliable and so it could bend without breaking. And then further work took place with his colleague John Burke and Nancy Talbot. They did a lot of dissemination of this work. Um, they were naturally attacked for it by the, the, the real scientists who suddenly said he was not a real scientist. Now that's the we always have. If you cover something maverick, even if you're qualified to do so, suddenly you are branded a maverick and you're kind of pushed to the fringes. And that's very unfair. Uh, but there's also the, the Dutch researcher, Joe Hasselhoff, who also has had papers published in peer review journals, uh, demonstrating very similar effects in the crop and also uh, linking them with the balls of light that people see. So I know people often say, well, come on, there's no science here. Where's the science for crop circles? Well, it is there. It's just that it's disregarded by the people that don't want to hear it. And that's always the problem when you're dealing with paranormal research, if we call it that, is that that's just considered not even worth looking at by the people in mainstream science. So you've always got this divide. But in my view, the work was valid. Uh, and uh, we here in Sussex, we helped to actually collect some of the samples that then got sent across to the United States uh, and were then tested. And in my view, they, they were sampled properly. They were tested properly. And just to say that it's all a mistaken uh, you know, analysis, I, I don't believe it is fair. I, I think that more work like that should be carried out. 
especially with today's techniques, which I'm sure have come on uh, in the years since those initial ones were done in the 1990s. But this is the thing people are often surprised at the level of work that is out there and the level of papers that have been published uh, many people have now forgotten about these but it's worth going back and looking at this work because you realize that you know that there's a lot more credibility to all of this than is given credit for that's very true and the, the, the you know the this the people who are skeptical of this uh, and in fact, it, all of these, all of the whole frontier of strangeness, which is in the world now, uh, uh, they always will, no matter how good the evidence, they will always demand better evidence, better evidence, better evidence. And, and to the point where you realize after a while that you're not dealing with intellect you're dealing with emotions that these people are threatened. They feel threatened mm -hmm. and they are unwilling to, to face the unknown. They can't do it. And in, you get back to the intelligence community and these are people who, uh, who really don't want the public facing the unknown. It's their job not to, let that happen and they perhaps got quite confused about their mission in mi5 if they indeed were in, were involved in doug and dave and i'm pretty sure they were uh, the central intelligence agency along with them since they work uh, so closely together quite often they can't they themselves can't face but you can face the unknown in fact you went for it instead why is that? I mean, I think anybody that's going to get involved with something like crop circles, and I think the crop circle mystery in particular has offered an opportunity for this. You are faced with something that has so many unexplained levels, so much strangeness around it, but also great beauty, which is what makes it so attractive. Anybody that's going to learn to be comfortable with that phenomenon has to learn to be comfortable with unknowns if you don't embrace the mystery you're going to wind up fighting and there have been some people who came into the crop circle world with a preconceived notion of what they thought the answer would be and they find in the end that you can't ever really prove one theory above another or not yet and they get spat out the other end and then some people got very sort of bitter and twisted about that because it didn't offer them what they were expecting but if you just go in and you take it for what it is and that in the end it is what i did when i realized i was not going to be able to come to any clear conclusion about what was going on it's funny it was like a weight lifting it was like actually like the channel message said stop trying to prove this or that let's just gather the evidence let's see what is in front of us and we will state to the world what we see Beyond that, we'll leave people to make their own minds up. And that, I think, was the key. And I think those in the crop circle community that took that approach did better. The ones that had an axe to grind, that had a theory to push, largely faded away in the end because it wasn't possible to prove it. And as we mentioned earlier, with you know that almost mischievous quality of the phenomenon, it's almost like it doesn't want you to get too close to a definitive answer.
Uh, and so therefore, you know, I would imagine that someone in military intelligence or anything like that, uh, that they would find that particularly frustrating. So unless they know something that we don't, and it is possible they don't know any more than we do, they, they certainly wouldn't want anybody else getting too close to it because they want the secrets uh, regarding it for themselves, for their own dubious ends. And the more they can just keep other people away from it, the more they can study secretly uh, on the quiet. But uh, whether that means they're actually learning much more than we are remains to be seen. But uh, I strongly suspect they have done their own science and they would be foolish if they didn't do their own science uh, because, you know, they must know there is something going on here which is not explained. And we should note here, and it's easy to forget this, there are satellites looking down on just about every inch of the planet that surely must show whether or not in one frame you've got an empty field and in the next there's a new massive new crop circle or they've got frames and frames and frames of dots with people moving around making them you'd think wouldn't you if they had the evidence that all of them were just being made by people they probably would have presented that by now the fact they don't makes me think They've seen stuff from up there that they know damn well shows, you know, there's a phenomenon here that they cannot explain away. So they just don't talk about that evidence. They must have the evidence. They must do. They must. You're right. They they do have the evidence and uh, they don't, they hide everything. It's, it's a disaster. You know, I talked, I heard a, a lecture by an old uh, American socialist and I'm not a socialist myself, but he had a very wise thing to say. His name was, um, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm going to forget his name. Maybe it was Norman Thomas. Um, anyway, he said this, where the secrets start, the republic stops. He might as well have said where the secrets start, freedom stops. And that, I think, has also been a, a, a larger theme in your own life, and, uh, and certainly in mine as well. And these organism organisms, I would hardly call them organizations because they're they're more about the blood and and essence of our society than they are like bureaucracies. They work as bu like bureaucracies, but the depth of the damage they do and the protection they afford is much much more profound. These intelligence agencies have slipped into the habit of trying to control everything they don't understand. And this is a grave mistake. And I believe that, as you were saying a moment ago, they do have probably much more knowledge than they will ever reveal. But I think the public has much more understanding. And I think you do, and I think some of the people you have interacted with do, and we're going to shift gears in a moment and start to talk about uh, someone we call you call Job and in the book and what his take on all of this means as we begin to look at it as perhaps something to do not necessarily only with aliens, but with the justice of the earth and the voice of our own planet. Free listeners, I would like to thank you for the time you spent with us today, and we'll see you again next week. Subscribers, we're going to get going a little deeper right now.
You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.